how does one man build the largest sports memorabilia company in the world and then buys Yankee Stadium as it's being demolished and sells it piece by piece? Buckle on up. You are about to hear from this king of sports memorabilia himself. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast, where we interview remarkable world-class experts that help bring out the greatness within you. Top book authors, super successful business people, and outstanding special guests that will motivate and inspire you with their incredible, uplifting stories and life-changing tips and strategies. Our goal is your success. If you desire more out of life, you've dialed into the right show. So fasten your seatbelts, friends, and let's get ready for some high-octane motivation. Now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest on today's show built one of the most successful sports memorabilia businesses ever by building relationships with countless athletes and the best teams in sports. His very name became synonymous with sports memorabilia. If you bought a signed baseball or a signed jersey or anything sports related that was signed, chances are good you bought it from Steiner Sports Marketing. He is currently the CEO of the Collectible Exchange, where fans can buy, sell, appraise, and authenticate their sports memorabilia. Welcome to the Motivation Show, Brandon Steiner. Well, how are you doing? You know, we're listening to that introduction, which I appreciate. It's nice to be with you today. It's hard to imagine Steiner not at Steiner anymore, but because people know me for 30 years, having built that company, but that was a great company, and I really appreciate the support, but I can't believe how many people have moved over to Collectible Exchange or CXStuff.com. It's just, it's a beautiful platform that I've created that is going to be probably one of the top collectible sites in the world as far as people trading and buying and selling. So I'm not, I've secured over 30 million autographs in my life. Is that all? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> but now people can buy and sell on my platform. I'm more of a collaborator. Although I'm always coming up with new projects and always come up with new stuff to do. So it's all exciting and you know, most people are so used to Steiner at Steiner, but now it's Steiner at Collectible Exchange. So it's a little different, but it's all good. Well, anybody, everybody knows with the name Steiner that whatever you're up to must be pretty good in terms of memorabilia well, or, or, or trading or autographs or events that have to do with athletes. So, you know, that's a given. And thank so you. how did you originally come up with this idea a few years back, a long time back, I should say, of Steiner Sports. Where did it originate from? I mean, you know, I've been marketing athletes for since the late 80s. And, you know, my wife had told me that maybe I should go and get a job. I wasn't really making enough money. And back then, you know, the appearances and the marketing of athletes was not the same as it is now. You know, you book a player for a thousand bucks, twenty five hundred bucks, five thousand, make 10 or 15 percent. So I was on the train, I was going into the city to my office and I was just like, I gotta get off this train. And I saw this guy with a photo of, on the back page of the New York Post with Mark Messi holding the Stanley Cup. And I was like, wow, I bet I could sell 15,000 of those. Cause I was just trying any which way I could to get off the damn train and figure out how to get, maybe get a car, not to mention figure out how I could make a little bit more money. So, you know, when I started the collectible aspect of my business, it was really just to be an extension of all the appearances that I was booking. Because I've helped so many businesses grow through the use of players. 
I look at the player use much differently than most people do. And uh, because that's my whole world. So I, I show them a million ways you can use a player. But at this point, I was trying to come up with an extension of what I was doing. So I was booking like a couple thousand appearances a year out of my company. And my wife on my butt to try to figure out how to go get a job. I wasn't grooving on that. So I was like, <laughs> what else could I do to make some money? So I came up with this idea about Mark Messier signing the autographs. And uh, I did a deal with him. And I ended up signing a contract with him to sign a bunch of autographs and do some products with him. Ended up being a really big thing. And I uh, started my way into starting uh, the collectible industry as we now know it. And it was a lot about focused on the moment. You know, the whole business that I created was focused on the moment. But originally when I started the collectible thing, I thought it was a B2B thing. I'm trying to do some business with you. I send you a signed ball. Hope you look forward to the ball rolling. Um, yeah, I'm going to go do a presentation to you next week. I'd send you a Hall of Fame picture, signed ball. Hope you're looking forward to my pitch. I'd send you some boxing gloves signed by Muhammad Ali. You know, hope you, I think we're going to knock it out of the – I think we can knock out your business next year. Or I'd send a Hank Aaron signed bat. We're looking forward to hitting a home run with you. Send you a hockey puck. You know, we all have the same goal in common. Let me manage your – banking needs or your real estate needs. And I would send, uh, you know, a ball signed by one of the managers. So, you know, it was just kind of all more B2B play. And then all of a sudden it just took its own life with uh, the authentication I was creating. And people knew me to be really connected with so many athletes, which I still am, thank God. And uh, that's kind of how it all come together. You know, when I uh, interviewed Art Shamsky from the 1969 New York Mets championship team, I Googled a little bit and I wanted to find out what the players are making in 1969. Mm. And I look and I see Tom Seaver was making 40 grand, you know, <laughs> their third baseman Ed Charles, which uh, was a good player, but not anywhere near the uh, name that Tom Seaver was making 35,000. He's like only $5,000 less. So I can see how uh, certainly players from back then could use a little extra income, but I'm wondering how a player who's getting $20 million a year, what, in, how do you get them? To work with you well you know it's interesting you say that first of all you know when i got in the business you bring up a good point and i was really trying to help the players that actually needed help which is most of them you know a lot of their careers were coming to an end they needed other ways to get income and that it really made the big big bucks but i tell people all the time that, you know when you get when you it doesn't really matter who you're dealing with what really matters is what value you can provide and value is what you can do for someone that they can't do for themselves so when I meet somebody that's making 20 million a year, obviously the value proposition gets a little more difficult, but no matter how much money you make, you do need help. It's my job to figure out where you need help and figure out a way to help. So with a lot of these athletes, it's through their charity endeavors. It's, it's making extra money to keep supporting and driving their charities home. But so I'm automatically thinking when I'm approaching these players, you know, what can I do for them that maybe can help them and save them some time or help them drive home an initiative they have. And a lot of these players have products or have things that they're doing. And this stuff just supports that. So this new website that I've created really does that. Players have charities, products they're creating. This new site called Athlete Direct helps them do that. So the value proposition is not easy as it was 30 years ago. When I call a player up, he'd be really happy to hear from me. And any money was good money. Now it becomes a little trickier and you got to be even more authentic and more creative in trying to talk with some of these bigger name players into working with you. But being that I know what I'm doing and I've been doing this for a long time, I think the players are appreciative of what I'm offering them. I, I try to make it beneficial to them and try to help them take care of a category which connects them to fans. You know, all these autographs and memorabilia gets fans and players connected. 
And I think it's important as part of a player's brand to do that. And we figure out different ways to do it, sometimes better than others, depending on the player. But most players want to be connected to their fan base. And I feel like I can help them do that. Well, you know, when we think of athletes, of course, there I'm sure there are uh, some athletes that are very humble and very modest. And then there are others that probably have uh, pretty big egos. How do you deal with the big egos? You know, we, we love the athletes with big egos. I, I think that most athletes have big egos because I don't think you could be as great as they are playing the kind of stage without having that kind of confidence and self-ability. You know, it's just a matter of the humility and the empathy about, you know, getting real that matters, not how big the ego is. Because um, sometimes the athletes with the biggest brands with the biggest egos sell the best, sell the most, and it pushes me to even do better work. So, you know, when you're dealing with bigger names and bigger ego players, remember, there's always accountability, responsibility that comes with those relationships. So, yeah, is it great to have a relationship with a Mariano Vera? Yes. And I'm extremely grateful. And he's an extremely humble guy, but he has an ego. But it pushes me even more to be even more accountable and, be, and put better work out. Because I know there's only one of him and I've got to do my best or he'll find somewhere else to go or he won't do what I'm doing if he doesn't feel like it's really good quality work. So it pushes me to be better. And I think it's a lot of these athletes that have the big egos that are great, that have pushed me to do what I'm doing as well as I've been able to do it. That's a great way to look at it. It ain't so, comfortable, though. Yeah. It ain't convenient. <laughs> Be well, out that, there listening. I mean, it's sexy from the outside, but you had better buckle in and bring your A game to work every day because there is no second place with a lot of these talents. And so how do you bring the A game? What are the biggest secrets uh, you've learned about success? Well, I think most importantly, it, does, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at. It matters what you want to accept. And you got to push yourself to want to do better, want to do more, want to learn more. As you get older, you know, energy is a critical part. You know, you got to have the energy and the stamina to play the long game, especially when you're dealing with high level, high profile, high energy talent that expect, you know, they're, they're playing hard every day. They want you to play hard every day. So I think, you know, energy is critical. Creativity is critical for me with the athletes. It's really keeping my boyish, young, stupid, ignorant approach you know I, I, as many times as i've been with eli manning or Derek cheater you still got to be a fan you can't take any of their greatness for granted and you can't get comfortable with it you got to keep yourself at a high level of empathy when you're dealing with players like this and empathy mm -hmm. is really putting yourself in another person's shoes so i always try to put myself in a common person's shoes because if they got to meet a Derek Jeter or they got to meet a Mark Messier, they'd be out of their minds excited. And I want to keep that level of excitement high. And that's how I can create. And that's how I can kind of see how a common fan would want it. Not from my view, who's maybe seen a player a hundred times. I don't want to blur that view or actually I'd be careful with that view. I want to make sure that I've got the 10 year old kid who's meeting his athlete for the first time, his hero. And does so he I maintain that mindset? Does an athlete like a Derek Jeter, does he, even though he's been fawned over by millions and millions of people, does he still want that from you? You know, you know, the relationship is different, depends on the athlete, but I think he understands the responsibility of connecting with his fans. And in his particular case, for many years, we used it to obviously support his turn to foundation and served a real strong purpose. He probably never really cared much about more attention or additional attention, frankly, unless it was something that was going to help his teammates. So he had his head screwed on pretty good. But generally speaking, he found a purpose for doing licensed and collectible stuff. That really wasn't all that interesting probably to him, I would imagine. But frankly, because it helped his foundation and it also took care of 
a very important element, which is the fans. You know, we, you have to remember how you got there. Like, I think the great ones realize as great as they are and how much money they're making, they're only as great and popular because of the fan base that cherish them and run around and fawn over them. So, you know, there's got to be somewhat of a give back and a connection mm, and a responsibility that. to that. And yeah. I, I think that some players these days get it more than others, but definitely most players get it a lot more than they did 20 years ago. Yeah. So sometimes it's about their foundation. Sometimes it's about giving back to the fans. Yeah. It's not just about themselves. And uh, I love that. Yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So have you always been this colorful personality? Take us back to where you grew up and how you grew up and I mean, I've always, my, my mom here. was a, my mom was a big personality and, you know, that's something that she taught me about, you know, how, how to present and how to go after what you want and making sure you're adding value and making sure you're a solution-based business person. I mean, I grew up extremely poor is an understatement and, uh, you know, I've been working since I'm 10 years old, so I'm very comfortable. Did that make you hungry? Do you out. feel being poor? Do you really feel that like that drove you later on? I mean, I always realized that I had the talent to do something special. Uh, my mother drove that home with me. And she always drove home the fact that, you know, our circumstances are poor, but you're as talented as anyone else. And you deserve all the opportunities and all the upsides as anyone else in this planet. So it's up to you whether you want to take advantage of it. As a matter of fact, because we're so poor, we may have even more advantages than somebody with that has some money. And we definitely took advantage of those opportunities being as poor as we were. You know, I always envisioned, you know, it's funny, as little as I had, even all the way through high school, college, envisioned being really, really successful, having a bunch of companies. I was always loving business, always thought I'd own a few big businesses. And I really never, ever capped what those big businesses would look like and feel like. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, I've built a bunch of companies and now I'm on my way to building a new one here. I'm not saying it's easy because it's certainly nothing easy, but it's not something that troubles me because i know how to run a business and build a business it's everything you know the balance of everything in life that throws you off but um i think growing up in an adverse uh, environment can be a tremendous advantage because you create a high level of unacceptance you know you don't want to live in a cockroach infested small little apartment with barely any food you, you know that's not acceptable that's and rough. the question is when you get to a high level of unacceptance about it then you get into doing something about it and that's what it comes down to is like doing something about your circumstance that you're in and reminding yourself that you're entitled to live the best life you can live, whatever that means, whatever we want it to be. You're certainly entitled to do that. You just have to go after it. And that's exactly what I did. Certainly my mother was a big boost behind me to help me there. But, and I think parenting is a critical component, which I talk a lot about in my last book, Living on Purpose. Parenting is the most and hardest job on the planet. Uh, I don't know if parents realize the kind of impact and effect they have on our future in this planet, in this country, but I'm grateful that my mother pushed me. That's great. Well, you know, you did talk about your book, Living on Purpose, and I like the subtitle of it. You know, it's stories about faith, fortune, and fitness. And so you talk about you may be a great business success, but you might not be defining your triumph in the most stable and sustainable way. So tell us what's a more well, sustainable way. I mean, faith, fortune, and fitness was the only reason I came up with that is because when I thought about the, I've written three books, but when I think about the books that sell the most, either lose weight, get close to God or get rich quick scheme. Those are the three books that sell the most. I figured, let me run with that little, maybe it'll get people to buy more books. And, you know, the truth of the matter is there's no shortcut. If you want to get closer to God, you're probably going to have to die. If you want to lose weight, then you probably have to cut off a limb. 
and I don't think anybody wants to do that. If you want to do that real quick, a little radical. And if you want to make a fortune, you know, find a relative that's really rich, hope that he dies and leaves you in their will, or maybe buy a lottery ticket. We know the chance of those two things is slim. So there's no shortcut to really success. But what I tell people all the time is like, if you die and you've got gazillions of dollars, but your family wasn't really all that close, you didn't have a faith and you didn't have, you know, you weren't somebody who believed in helping others. How successful were you? Mm, And I think a lot of people, and what I was trying to really transcribe in the book was that people put so much of an onus on their financial wealth and their business success, yet they really don't put the same kind of onus on the kind of parent or spouse or friend or community person or even even your spiritual strength. And I think that when you go to funerals and you read, you you listen to some of the people that that are speaking about somebody who's passed. There's very little talk about how rich they were and how many houses they had. And it's usually the good that they've done, the people they've helped, and the kind of family member, the kind of dad, the kind of brother they were. So you got to put that in perspective, you know, because when we all die, we all are going to die. There is no special place in the ground for rich people versus poor people. We're all going six feet under, and who knows where we're going for there. And something tells me. You're not going to buy your way because you have a lot of money to any other better place in heaven mm, or worse place. Yeah. So, you know, you got to put things in perspective and remember, like, we're only here for two reasons. And one is to get better and grow and learn and, and make a difference in this planet, hopefully making it better than when we found it. Only humans can do that. And the other is, is to help one another. I mean, that's God. If you believe in God, you know, there's all these problems around the world that you wonder, like, you know, why, why? But he doesn't give you the answers to all those problems, but he gave, he gave us each other. And we, that, that's how we resolve problems like this virus. Nobody, one particular person resolved it. And it's certainly been a huge problem, but we've together around the universe figured out a way to solve it. And that's what we need to do more of, you know, more of the common good. It's so underestimated in this planet, but the best thing that ever get created is not what you do individually, but what you do collectively. Well, you know, I think you're right on. You talk about a funeral, even if it talked about your father's funeral in your book and yeah. uh, that there were like five people or, uh, that showed up to the funeral and that hurt you, you know, because in the uh, Jewish tradition, you actually need 10 actually to even come. You have to, we had to borrow a few people. Had to borrow some funeral. People. Yeah. It's painful. And so th- that's sometimes in that pain is, is great lessons to learn about how to live your own life and how to help other people live their lives. For me, you know, my thinking is what kind of a difference have you made in each and every person that you've met? That's the riches that I look at life for. Yet so many people uh, who are in business, who are busy like you, really, uh, how do you have the time even to invest in other people? That's part of the, the issue, isn't it not? A time no, issue, I, no, I think, how do you not have the time? And I think that- Beautiful. I love that answer. You know, to fill yourself, you got to forget yourself, man. I mean, you got to you got to take a minute, step outside yourself, and really have lead with empathy. You know, lead with the ability to see what it's like to be in someone else's shoes, and to at least help the people at the very least in your own community, your own neighborhoods, to the people that are not as well off as you are. And I think every religion and every spiritual concept has some part of what you make in your time to do that. So if you're not following what some of the greatest spiritual leaders that we've ever known are saying, then you know, you've got some other solution. I mean, but every spiritual religious leader that we've known from the Bible, Torah, everything 
has, you know, give back, take some percentage of what you do and who you are to help others less fortunate. So if you're not doing some of that, and it doesn't matter what level, I think a lot of times people feel like helping others is left to the people that are extremely wealthy and they just get more notoriety for it. But every little bit counts. And I think that whether you're giving an hour of your time or donating $10, those things all matter, especially when we do it in a collective way. And that's where I think I'm hoping that after this virus, we all realize collectively what we got to do, which is be much more sensitive to all the people and all the things that everyone's doing, because whoever thunk that the person working in the grocery store would have been as important as they were, you know, things like that, you know, the nurse, the doctor, you know, we always know they're important, but how, how much more important are they now after what we've been through? Say a kind so, word once in a while to those people, right? You know, and uh, more than that, you know, yeah. treat them like your best customer. You yeah, know, beautiful. Uh, I would say, you know, treat the people that are most important, which is just about everybody, like your best customer, beautiful not just said. what they could do for you at the moment. So, so you're running uh, these businesses, and I look at a lot of business owners, and they're angry, they're uh, overweight, they're stressed, uh, they can't seem to put all the puzzle parts together. How do you do what you do and stay in balance? What's the secret? Well, first thing is there's no such thing as work-life balance. That's bullshit. So stop trying to balance it because you won't find it. But if you're not respecting the other pillars, um, if you're not respecting the, and be, the fact that you have friends, you know, realizing that your health, your body is a business. So whatever business you think you're running, add one more business to it because your body is a business. And you may want to ask yourself, if you, your body was a business, would you be bankrupt or would you be in some serious trouble? And I think most people think, well, let me do some more well, and then I'll do some good. And, you know, let me get through this one, one more year, make some more money, then I'll get in shape, then I'll work out. But you don't do well, it doesn't lead you to doing good. Doing good leads you to doing well. What's important is do as much good as you can, and that's what leads you to doing well. And it's the same thing. Like, I always thought I didn't have time to work out. I started working out every day because it was, I don't know how important it was. And I can't believe how much more clear I am, how much more I was able to do in a day. And I think a lot of business leaders have learned that, but a lot of business leaders have not. And the stress level and the amount of physicality one needs to run a business successfully, you have to be at your best level of energy. You're eating. Those are all part of the gig. You're just making a ridiculous amount of money running a business. Is not, there's, there's some cost to that business which is your other business, which is your body. So, you know, you got to, you know, like LeBron spends a million and a half dollars a year just on his body. Now, obviously he makes a ton of money. You got to put it in perspective, but there's a reason why he plays as many years and doesn't get hurt much. And I think you got to look at it that way. You know, if you're lucky enough to run a business and make some good money, I think you got to realize that part of the deal is in order for you to have the longevity of doing that is taking care of yourself. And running your, that part of the business is complicated and it is consistent. So if you're not worrying about your health and your body and your fitness, your energy, your nutrition, you're going to be bankrupt. And right. the bankruptcy with your body is not as forgiving as the business bankruptcy. Yep, that's that usually well leads to hospital visits, many doctor appointments. There is no circumventing it. Well said. So what well-known athletes have impressed you the most in terms of not just their ability in sports, but their ability as a human being? to do all these things. I mean, I've learned a tremendous amount from Mariano about faith and about, you know, the importance of helping others and, and from a whole spiritual side of things I never really thought about. I've learned a tremendous amount from Mark Messier about 
leadership team, family, you know, tremendous family guy, really, really uh, a great friend and what it really means to be a great friend, not just have a lot of friends because you're famous, but really what it means to be all in about your family and your friendships. I think Eli Manning was a great example to me, also great, great character about, you know, community, his family, his focus and the balance and still being an incredible player and completely committed to his trade without blowing up everything else around him, which is what a lot of people that reach a certain level of extraordinary get to. They find themselves having blown up the other kind of departments in their life. Um, so many players I've learned different things, good and bad. You know, I see players just completely go for the, you know, just be so consumed with what they're doing and blow everything else off. And then they got to completely reset and hopefully rebuild and try to see if they can find a, a second win. But I think that it's very doable. You can have it all. You, know, you can be extraordinary what you do, live a healthy life, be a good spouse, be a good parent. It's possible. You know, you got to diversify some of the effort and energy. So don't work for work-life balance, but work, focus on your work. And if you get committed to it, go for it. But have, make sure you always have the respect for the other, you know, the other pillars. And how is important is it for Brandon Steiner to delegate? I mean, you know, obviously you can't grow a business without finding good people around you, talent acquisition and getting other people to help you. I think getting help in general, because depending on your situation, your business delegation can come and go depending how much responsibility, but I think getting help and knowing when, when you need help is really important and not being afraid to ask help. Being, asking for help is not the opposite of, you know, you shouldn't be embarrassed to get help on any level. It shows a power of strength. Now you literally bought Yankee stadium. <laughs> uh, define that for us. Tell us how that I mean, all came you about. Know, I was partners with the Yankees and the Yankees, they believed in me. They helped me, you know, with buying the stadium. So that was a great opportunity to, to sell off the stadium, the seats and the foul poles and the dirt and the grass and the locker room. I absolutely loved it. I mean, it was a great opportunity. I'm very grateful to the Yankees and the Yankee fans who really, really bought into my bigger picture of thinking about how I want to sell off that stadium and not just take a few valuable parts and sell it, but I wanted to put that stadium to rest in a, in a really dignified, classy way. I know it sounds crazy, but if you're a Yankee fan and you've been to games in that stadium, is special. And I don't want to just blow it up and, and not remember all the little things that go on in that stadium. So it was a four or five year project. I think the Yankees, I mean, I give them a lot of credit because that wasn't a money grab, but it was the right thing to do. And they really supported me throughout that whole process to get that done the right way. And now there are many Yankee fans, which, you know, Yankees fans are crazy about their team. And uh, they have that little piece of the stadium that they can remember. And I think it helps them enjoy the new stadium even more because they, that pass is kind of set up and it's, it's done. And the new stadium is pretty special. So, you know, I think in order to move forward with your future, you always got to get your past organized and, and put the rest the right way. So do you have fears and doubts? And if that stopped you from doing anything? How much time do we got? I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, listen, I think as an entrepreneur, I mean, I think anytime you're coming up with something new, you know, with my new websites and there's so many doubts and you question and you're, but I think that, you know, having a faith, which is not believing in something that you can't see, or always realizing there's always a little light in the dark is critical. But yeah, I mean, you know, listen, I, I have a ton of doubts and a ton of nervousness. There's, there's a lot of things to be nervous about, especially in this day and age. But I think having confidence in God and having confidence in myself 
and confidence in my strategy, you know, helped me through those moments. You know, I do get a little crazy. And then I'm like, Brand, you got this. You know better. You know how to do this. And, and the good Lord upstairs, he's going he's gonna to guide you. You know, he's going to take you through it. So, you know, I try to focus in on being prepared as much as I can because I don't want to fail and then feel like I could have done a better job being prepared for the moment. So I try to make sure my strategy and I'm prepared and, and then I keep a high level of faith. I love it because at the end of the day, you know, having faith in not only yourself, but in a higher entity certainly yeah. steers your ship a lot better. So what's next for Brandon Steiner? What can we look forward to? Oh, it's coming. I mean, you know, the collectible exchange and I'm about to announce a new website called athlete direct where you'll be able to buy stuff directly from athletes and all kinds of private label collectibles, different things. You'll be able to go to a website and buy from your favorite athlete. It's going to be amazing. You know, doing a lot of sales coaching and, you know, process of getting ready to do my fourth book. You know, I got so many things going. I'm just trying to keep the amount of hours in the day so that I can, you know, not get, get too overwhelmed, but I'm having fun again. I feel like I'm 20. And I, you know, the one thing I want to share with you is like, is that uh, there's no discrimination against dreaming. I think people always feel like dreaming is for younger people, but your future is not fixed regardless of your age and you can still do whatever it is you want to do. And I recommend that you do, you know, turn the dreaming volume up and regardless of what your age or what you've been through and what maybe have happened to the company or industry you were in good or bad, don't stop dreaming and thinking about how you could be better and do something that you've always wanted to do. You're only given one life and take advantage of it. It's a special uh, place we get put in here. Not everybody makes it to this wonderful life, you know? So I got to take advantage of every minute I'm here, man. Squeeze out the talent yeah. within you and the giant within you. Yeah. I love that. So um, tell us about how people can find you, your websites, and uh, tell us what you might recommend somebody listening today, how they might interact with your uh, websites and your products and your services. Well, the good news is if you go to collectible exchange, you can actually pick up one of my three books for free, just pay for the shipping. And then I'm a big LinkedIn guy. Like if you go on LinkedIn and follow me, you can message me. I return all those messages. You got to like me on Facebook. If you're interested in more information about me in general, go to brandonsteiner.com. But Collectible Exchange is the new site. It's a really cool site. It's just blowing up. It's phenomenal. If you're a collector or you love sports stuff, there's one of a kind stuff that like you wouldn't believe over 50,000 items. But if you want to send me a message or an issue or something you got on your mind, want to sell your collection, whatever it is, just go on LinkedIn and message me. All right. Well, our guest today has been Brandon Steiner, the CEO of the Collectible Exchange and the Steiner Agency. I want to thank you for investing the time and sharing all your nuggets of wisdom. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so Stay much. Stay safe, Brandon. everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. We love our listeners and we believe you have greatness within you. If you like The Motivation Show, we appreciate you subscribing rating and reviewing us. Check out EliMarcusSuccess.com to hear more inspiring shows and to read our motivational blog. That's EliMarcusSuccess.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.